With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Wes Goldberg, host of the popular Locked On Warriors podcast. During our conversation, we looked at which players have the most to prove ahead of next season's training camp. Wes, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Um, how's how's Florida treating you? I know I know you're still out there in the Miami area. How you been? Uh, hot, but you know it's been good. Been spending a lot of time at the pool. Um, sort of developing a drinking problem, but what's the big deal? It's it's quarantine. Nobody cares. It's quarantine, man. I mean, as long as you get the work done, as long as you're responsible, right. you have been doing your work. I've, I've been impressed. You've, you've been writing some good stuff. Um, it's been nice for both of us because there's been stuff to write about. We're not just having to sit back and make things up. There's uh, There's been content uh, that's been readily available with Minicamp. Minicamp officially, today is Tuesday. Minicamp officially ended today. Um, it was kind of a, an interesting thing. Obviously, the Warriors have never had an off-season minicamp because they haven't really needed one. But given the long hiatus, the NBA let them have it. And um, Steph and Draymond weren't there. Um, so I think that limited how much they could accomplish. But it felt like given the fact that those two weren't there, they, they, they got as much out of it as they could. What, what, did, what was your big takeaway from it? Similar. I think um... – you know what Steph and Draymond are going to give you, right? Like Steph Curry is going to stretch the floor in ways that nobody else can, sure. Draymond Green is going to give you this playmaking ability from the four and five spot that very few players in the league can provide. But Steve Kerr and the coaching staff in that front office are very aware and familiar with what those guys can do. So I think it's easy to project their abilities uh, based on what they saw in these scrimmages and these practices and whatever individual drills and various drills that they went through. Um, it's really just about finding guys who complement Steph, Draymond, and Clay Thompson. And everything that we heard is that Clay Thompson is looking good and he's on track to be 100% by next season. So given that this trio then is, is going to be back in place where it wasn't last year, it's just about finding what all, you know, players who complement that core and it sounds like this mini camp was a step in the right direction as far as um, seeing what Andrew Wiggins looks like, seeing what some of these younger players look like, uh, and how they sort of factor in to next season's team that hopes to get back into the playoffs. Yeah, so one thing, I, the big thing I wanted to talk about today is this is a really interesting time for these guys, right? Because we're in the middle of this extended hiatus. Um, it's looking like next season's not going to start till January or February, which when you go back all the way to mid-March when the Warriors season officially ended, that's going to end up being, you know, a 10, 11th month break. And mm-hmm. um, I think that that's kind of, that from a management perspective, that can tell you a lot about what these guys are made of. Do they make the most of their off time? Do they stay in shape? 
Um, do they get better on their own? Are they coming into the facility to get working with the coaches or are they just treating it like one big vacation and, and drinking a lot and, and gaining weight and, and, like and that sort of thing. And I think that that really matters, right. From, from the front office's perspective, when roster spots and rotation spots are on the line. And so, you know, they got a little snapshot at minicamp of where these guys are at right now, but now it's looking like these guys are going to have another few months before training camp. And so can the, can, can these guys, the guys specifically that are either fighting for a roster spot or, or trying to improve their, their position in the rotation, can they make enough strides to to show up at training camp and really open some eyes? So um, I wanted to talk to you about who you think has the most on the line over the next few mm-hmm. months and, and what you think they can do to better their position come first day of training camp. The guy that comes to mind for me is Eric Pascal. Um, just given with what, what's at stake for him, is he going to be a guy who ends up being first team all rookie, you know, in his first NBA season, uh, but for a bad Warriors team that just sort of needed somebody to score. Um, and then, and, and kind of, never builds off of a strong rookie year and just sort of ends up being like this empty stats guy or, you know, taking advantage of the situation type guy, never really getting back to those heights again in his career. Or does he build on that year by becoming a core rotation player for this Warriors team? And as impressed as I was, and many people were with Eric Pascal as his rookie season, there are things in his game that concern me. Uh, he seems to be a uh, he's a little bit of a black hole on offense. He doesn't he's not a great playmaker. We saw the Warriors nudging him into more playmaking duties toward the end of the year because they recognize that too. That in order to uh, sort of coexist with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, he's going to need to learn to pass the ball. He's not going to get to dribble three, four, five times a possession. Right? He needs to make one dribble, one hard dribble, decide to either shoot it or pass to Steph or Clay. You know, coming off of screens and stuff like that. So he needs to get better. But also, he needs to become a better three-point shooter. And so there's, like, all these things. What was he, a 28% three-point shooter last year? They need to get him – he needs to be much better than that next year. So, again, as impressive as he was, there were so many little things about his game and big things about his game that he needs to improve in order to be a part of a meaningful rotation for a team that aims to get back into the playoffs next year. And if he can do that, well, then you're talking about one of the best five players on the roster and somebody who ought to be on the floor at the end of important basketball games. If he can't do that, well, then you're looking at somebody who might be the ninth guy on the roster and is, is more like Nick Young than Andre Iguodala. You know what I mean? Right. Where if you just need somebody to get a bucket, you'll put him in. But he's not really a guy. And he may anchor a, a, a second unit or something, but he's really not a part – uh, of that core group going forward. So I think Pascal between now and next season has a lot on the line. And when you consider that he didn't really participate in mini camp, right? Because he was weird, a late, right? it was strange. He was a late entry. He had to be quarantined for an extra day. His, you know, every time we talked to Steve Kerr about him, he was just, well, his conditioning isn't in place. Um, it, it, it's a little weird. It was a little strange. Uh, I, I try not to read too much into it. Mm-hmm. But but it but what it does mean is that these next few weeks of individual one on one 
stuff at Chase Center that he's going to be able to do outside of this mini camp is going to be that much more important. Yeah, I think I'm I'm glad that you brought up Eric to to start because I, I think a lot of Warriors fans have lofty expectations for his career because he did he was such a surprise as a rookie and he came in as the 41st pick and was a first team all rookie guy and uh was arguably their best player this season when you when you take everything into account um but i'm just not sure about what his ceiling is a in general and b on this team um because when you have everyone back i'm i don't really know what his his role exactly is i i don't i don't know if he can get points in the flow of the offense as, as much as he should he's more of a a one-on-one iso guy which isn't really going to have going to be how they're going to want to play when Steph and Clay are in the fold and he also has been most successful at power forward and and he's not going to be able to get a ton of four minutes when you're when you have small ball lineups with Wiggins playing four and then you also have obviously Draymond at the four um can he can he can he coexist with Draymond that has yet to be proven um so there's a lot of question marks about him and I I do think it's possible that he's a guy who peaks early you know who who doesn't have another season like that you know I don't want to compare him to Michael Carter Williams but that's the most Mm. obvious example I can think of in recent history of someone who came out as a rookie and benefited from a situation and uh with that 70 bad 76ers team got a ton of minutes and was able to put up numbers and, and was rookie of the year that year. And then he's just completely fallen off since then as a total non-factor. I'm not saying he's going to be like that, but I do think he could end up being at best a, I mean, I I think it's very realistic that he could end up being like the, the eighth, ninth man on a good team rather than, you know, a potential all-star, which given the start of his career, a lot of people would assume he's, he's on that track. Right. But then if you think about him being the 41st pick in the draft, if he's your ninth guy on the roster, if he's your 12th guy on the roster, I mean, hell, that's a, that's a win for a second round pick in the NBA draft. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind. Um, But. And, and talking to people people in the organization, and I know you've probably noticed this too. They don't talk about him like he's a future all-star. No one, no one thinks that. I think I, I, I talked to, to some guys in the front office a while ago and they said basically that they looked at him as a guy who can be a fill-in starter and mm-hmm. can help you off the bench and that's that like you said that's a win at 41 um but that's really how they look at him and if they look at him like that I don't think we should look at him as anything more than that right I mean let, let's not act like it was some sort of travesty that he fell to the second round right uh the idea with him is that there is a limited ceiling based on he's a good athlete, but he's not this crazy jump out of the gym athlete. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is late. He's already 23 years old, which is, you know, the same age as D'Angelo Russell. It's the same. It's, it's the same age as Marquise Chris who has been in the league seemingly forever. Right. Right. So uh, I, I do like there's there, but if, so if, if this is what he is, then that's still okay with a second round pick. Like if he is just this for the rest of his career and he's not going to get the points per game because he's not going to have the opportunity that he had this last year. But if he's just this in smaller doses for the rest of his career, still win with the second round pick. Right. But there's also like, 
I do think that there's other like just because it was a second round pick doesn't mean that he's supposed to just be this for us for his career. Nikola Jokic was the forty first pick in the draft. Now I'm not saying Pascal is going to be as good a player as Jokic, but um, it's not to say that there's not a ceiling with that there's not a higher ceiling than maybe originally thought with him. I think he could end up being maybe the heir apparent of Draymond Green. Like I think there is a world in which that happens. Like he is right. so strong. Like he's probably one of the strongest guys in the league. Um, he is a good athlete. He does he does have um, north south speed that is really important. He's probably faster than Draymond Green ever was, um, and, and he does have an ability and an aggressiveness to put the ball on the floor and just go get buckets. And even if that three point shot never does come around, he has a he has a, a tendency to draw fouls and pick up you know three points the old fashioned way, so to speak. So I, I think that he is going to be a good player. It's just whether or not he can exist with like within that warriors type of framework that they have um they they guaranteed his contract they they're gonna have him under team control for many years here and so there's gonna they can afford to be patient with him right even if he is your eighth or ninth guy they, they're gonna be able to afford to be patient with him especially as draymond you know ages to 30 31 32 33 if pascal comes along maybe he could be the next draymond green and just take his place as opposed to being redundant with him or if that three-point shot does come along, I think there's a world where Eric Pascal can play the three for you. And in small ball lineups, if it's Pascal and Wiggins, now you just have switchable combo forwards. Mm-hmm. Like, that could work. So there's still a world in which Pascal can be a core part of this team going forward. Maybe not an all-star level player, but at least, you know, that fifth or sixth man in a playoff rotation. And that's why I say he's got so much at stake. Because this is, you know, we always talk about Pascal as sort of this high-floor guy. I think that's still the case, but as far as his outcome with the Warriors, I think there's a pretty large variance. We'll have more of my conversation with Wes Goldberg right after the break. Hey listeners, we recorded this before news broke Wednesday morning that Jonathan Simmons is signing with a team in China. Though he can opt out of his contract when NBA team offers him a guaranteed deal, that seems unlikely. To make the 15-man roster for the Warriors or any other NBA franchise, he would have had to impress in training camp. Simmons will probably try to return to the NBA once the Chinese Basketball Association season ends in March, but the Warriors are proceeding as if he won't be in their future plans. Because of that, let's skip ahead. Can I throw another name at you? Yeah. Are we sure Alan Smalagic is part of this team next year? Because... I would throw him into one of those fringe players too. Now I know he's harder to get off of when you talk about Bowman Mulder and, uh, and, and Toscano Anderson, those are non-guaranteed contracts, yeah. but there's ways to like the Warriors have two second round picks in this coming draft. They're probably not going to be able to keep both of them. If any of them on the roster, I think there's a better chance of them selling one of those picks or, or doing a draft and stash type deal where that player doesn't count toward the 15 man roster, but they could also use that pick to try to, to, to sweeten the deal to get off of smiling each. Like as fun as that story was last year and as much upside as he may have, I don't know that you can afford to, you know, waste a 15 man roster spot on a player who even the Warriors would tell you is probably three years away from being a legit NBA player. Right. Like, you could clear a roster spot by moving off of Smiley Geach and keeping there, Simmons and Mulder or something like that. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Smiley Geach is the worst player on this team. Um, I Everyone I've talked to has told me that they're giving him another year 
without a shadow of a doubt. They are giving him another year. They have decided that. Now, when push comes to shove and they're at training camp and they look at the numbers and they and, and there's not a spot for someone like Simmons, they want to they want Simmons on the team. Who knows? Maybe they change their mind. Maybe they revert right. they change course. But I, I still think they're going to keep Smiley. Um, I don't think, even though it's a small contract, I don't think they want to eat any money given where they are financially, given the the repercussions from COVID. Um, so I, I think he's going to be around. And I honestly, I, 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 I think he should be. I think he deserves that opportunity. Um, you When you drafted him early second round, you knew that, he was a complete project. And so if you bail on him now, it's not really fair to him when you knew he wasn't ready at all to play NBA minutes. I mean, it's not like he did anything last season that should have been surprising to you. Um, so no. I think I think he should – I think he deserves another year now. If he doesn't make significant progress this season and isn't dominant in his G League minutes, you cut bait. You move on. But well, I'll, I'll, I'll – but – Yes, they drafted Smalagic with the intention of giving him a few years to develop. He's a project, right? That was before they, quote-unquote, discovered Kai Bowman, quote-unquote, discovered Michael Mulder. Uh, do they look at those guys as having more upside, specifically, I think, in the case of Mulder, as having more upside than Smalagic, I think is a fair question. That said, uh, it's a lot easier to just convert guys like that to two-way contracts. Oh, yeah, I, I, right? would, I kind of – expect someone like Mulder to get a two-way contract um yeah, me too. and it's it's yeah a lot of teams like to use those two-way contracts on younger guys I think I think Mulder's now 27 right something like that um and so he'd be kind of old for that but I I don't think the Warriors necessarily look at it as at, as two ways as like a spot where you have to develop guys I think they look at it as just like an extra resource to get some helpful minutes in the regular season I mean, that's right. how that's how they viewed it with um, Damian Lee, and obviously it paid off. Um, so Yeah, I could see Michael Mulder being the next Damian Lee. Because you don't really – if you're going to be developing a sec, the second pick in the draft, if you're going to be developing Smiley Geach, then, yeah, you probably do need those two-way players to just fill spot minutes for you. And if Mulder on a two-way contract, that makes a lot of sense to me because you would presume that he's behind Damian Lee, behind Jordan Poole, behind whoever else they get this offseason – like just the chances of him playing regular minutes are pretty slim. So it makes a lot of sense to keep him on a two-way contract where you're sort of capped out anyway on the games and the, and the minutes that you can play. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you bring up another one that I, I think is interesting. It's one that we haven't talked a lot about in the, in the past. Um, and that's, that's Damian, Damian Lee. Um, Damian Lee is a guy who has been a feel good story. Um, he went from, having to be a two-way contract for two years in a row, even to get to that point, he went undrafted, bounced around the G league. I mean, he's, he's got a nice narrative. Um, and I think, I think he's had to deal with the, the assumption from a lot of fans that he's only around because he's Steph's brother-in-law, but I think he proved enough last season to show he's a legitimate NBA player and he, he can warrant legitimate rotation minutes. Now I still have questions over whether or not, he is a legitimate bona fide rotation player for a good NBA team. Um, and I wonder if he really deserves uh, a spot in the Warriors' long-term plans. I'm curious what your thoughts are for, on that. 
I like Damian Lee as far as a rotation guy. Maybe he's not your sixth man. Maybe he's not even really your seventh man. Oh, uh, he definitely Although I think be, I, I don't think he should be in the top eight. I think he's I think it's fair to set to put him in in your eighth or ninth slot in the rotation. I still think the Warriors are gonna go deeper in the regular season and in the postseason um than they typically have. But I could see I could see Damian Lee doing that. Look you know what you're getting with him. And I think that has a lot of value. Like he's not going to surprise you, right? Like Damian Lee's not going to go off for 30 points, but he's going to hit open jumpers. He's going to move the ball. Like he's not going to in the, you know, where we're talking about Eric Pascal sometimes can get a little too ball dominant. Like Damian Lee's not going to do that. He's just going to, he's going to hit open jumpers. He's going to attack closeouts. He's going to try hard on defense. He's going to rebound better than you probably think he's going to. Uh, and that's it. And, and I think a player like that in a postseason setting specifically has a lot of value. And, and ten, those are the sorts of players that tend to garner a lot of trust from coaches. And uh, I'm a, so I think I'm a little bit more higher on Damian Lee than you are, um, especially but if you're talking about like, I really like backup. I really He's like good. Damian Lee and like personally. And I think yeah. and if he's listening to this, I, I hope he doesn't take it personally. And, and I hope, hope he uses that as motivation because he's always been good at that. Um, I just think that he's good at a lot of things, but I'm not sure he's like a lead at anything. Um, and to to be like a, a guy who can be in the top eight rotation for a for a contending team, which the Warriors are trying to be, I think you need that elite skill that you're hanging your hat on. Um, I guess that's where we differ. I, I just I also look at like look at what the Raptors did to the Warriors. Look at what teams right now, like the Lakers and the Heat, are doing. The, these teams that got to the finals, they do have got like Miami has like their Duncan Robinson, right, who's elite as a three point shooter. But they also have just dudes like Jay Crowder, right? They just right. have like kind of guys who who aren't really elite at anything, but don't really take anything off the table. Like you're not going to attack Damian Lee, you know? You're not right. going to try to take advantage of anything. And I think that has a lot of value too where uh, he doesn't need to win you a game, but he's not going to lose you a game either, right? Like LeBron James isn't going to be able to attack Damian Lee over and over again and pick and roll. Like right. he's he's not that bad defensively. He's not that undersized defensively. Like I think Damian Lee is actually pretty good when it comes to knowing where to be, and he's got decent enough size. So, um, yeah, I think a guy like that does have value, even in the playoffs. Like let's remember – like we kind of tend to think of the regular season as this marathon and the playoffs as the sprint. The playoffs are as much a marathon as the regular season, right? Because I mean, the playoffs go two, three months and, and, and you the get stakes are so much higher. Yeah. Yeah. And the stakes are so much higher and your starters are playing so much more minutes. So like if you can, if you can bank some minutes for your starters through those first couple of rounds um, and you're not beat up by the finals, that's hugely important. I think Damian Lee, is veteran enough, savvy enough, smart enough, and trustworthy enough where he can absorb a lot of those minutes in the beginning rounds. Um, so lightning round, name two more players and give a quick elevator pitch on why they have a lot to prove. Ooh, uh, Marquise Chris, uh, even though he emerged as Golden State's starting center last year, what is it, right? Are you, do you hit that, you know, number eight overall pick type ceiling? Probably not, but can you get close? Can you be the starting center of the future for the Warriors? Because over the last few years, it's been very sort of plug and play, been very, hey, we'll sign this guy, he'll go, we'll sign a new guy. 
and it's been like this revolving door of centers. Marquise Chris at 23 years old with uh, a very team favorable contract has an opportunity here to make the most of this and become, you know, a long-term piece in the Warriors center rotation. He may not be the starter forever, but he can at least be there the same way that Kevon Looney was there. And so that's one of the players. And the other player, honestly, is Kevon Looney. Uh, if he could just stay healthy between mini camp and training camp and all this stuff, like he, it, it's not so much if he could stay healthy, but if he does get injured, that's going to meet at any point during this process, the Warriors are going to have to seriously consider like kind of reevaluating uh, where it is Kevon Looney stands in that organization. And if he indeed is a foundational piece to that team, because if he gets hurt one more time, I would have my doubts. I have my doubts now and I think they should too. So it's the two centers that I look at. Yeah, uh, you stole one of my guys. I think I'm glad one of us mentioned Kavan because we'd be remiss not to. He has so much on the line. Um, he, I think his career is really at a crossroads. I don't think that's a, an overstatement. Um, the guy I want to bring up is Jordan Poole. Um, he's a guy who got a lot of praise during uh, during minicamp from both teammates and, and Coach Kerr. Um, it sounds like he's been living in the gym, taking taking his offseason really seriously. Um, and, and this is a critical time in any young player's development, that, that offseason between rookie year and sophomore year. And his rookie year was fascinating. I mean, he, he, was, he looked completely overwhelmed, the vast majority of it. And then the last month or two of the Warriors' regular season, he, he kind of started to see things more clearly. He, he simplified his movements. He started to make sounder decisions. He, he started to be allowed to have the ball in his hands a little bit more, which may, allowed him to show off his playmaking, which is something he wasn't able to show at Michigan. And so I think he showed enough down the stretch of the season to give uh, to, to make people believe that he can be a legitimate player in this league. Um, but it, it is going to be an uphill battle, I think, in terms of getting meaningful minutes next season, or at least close to the amount of minutes he was getting last season just because there's going to be more good players on the floor. You're going to have Steph back. You're going to have Clay back. They're going to add guys in free agency. There's going to be a lottery pick in the fold. There's going to be someone from the traded player exception. So, you know, with all those guys in the fold, I think he needs to really make a major improvement to warrant a spot in that rotation. And um, I think he's capable of it. It sounds like he's done everything this offseason for them to believe in him. But uh, it's it's you know, we're not really going to know until he shows up and really opens some more eyes at training camp. And then the other guy that I well, would, wait, can I just with, with yeah. Jordan Poole though? You know how you have like player, you have captains of player trains. I, I think I'm like the lifeguard of the Jordan Poole, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I have no, I been like that. so I like that. I have I have been so high on Jordan Poole since the Warriors drafted him, and even like despite the struggles. I think I actually really think he's a high-level playmaker. I think his future in the league is not at shooting guard or as, or even really in an off-ball position, but really at an on-ball position and a point guard role who can stretch the floor for you a little bit and could be a combo guard for you. And you know, you look at combo guards in this league right now. You know, guys like Jamal Murray and Tyler Hero. I think Jordan Poole could be a similar type of player, not to that level. I don't think he'll ever hit that type of level, but just as far as filling a role, I think he can play that sort of role. Um, I think Jordan, I, I like that you bring him up. If if he takes a substantial leap between years one and two, th- there's an opportunity for him to to basically earn the job of Steph Curry's backup, at least in the regular season, 
where he's allowing Steph to go from 35 minutes per game to 30 minutes per game because you trust that the offense is going to function when the ball is in Jordan Poole's hands, or at least when Jordan Poole is on the floor, even if you have other secondary ball handlers around him and doing stuff like that. So, um, you know, even with the 28th pick in the draft, I'll say what I said about Pascal, you're really not expecting much even from a late first round pick. But I remain high on Jordan Poole, and I think that he's got a future in the NBA. And I actually think if, if it pans out, he's got a future with the Warriors too. Um, it's a four-year contract, right? Like he, he's under team control for basically four years. Um, there's an opportunity for him to really carve out a meaningful role uh, in this sort of next rendition yeah. of the Warriors. Guys like him matter a lot going forward just because they have such cheap contracts and the, the Warriors are going to be facing such a massive luxury tax bill um, that you need those, you need meaningful contributions from those bargain contracts. I'll give him this. He's way better than Jacob Evans and uh, Jacob Evans is not in the same spot a year before him. You say um, that like it was some sort of compliment. I don't, I don't think, and I know you meant it as that, but I mean, okay. no, I, I say that because that where, that's where the expectation needs to be. Like there's right. not, a, not a lot of talent comes from late first round. There's actually historically more talent from the early second round than the late second than the late first. You look at the number 28 spot only the only great player in modern NBA history has come out of there is Tony Parker. Outside of that, the best players you're talking about are like Wayne Ellington. Um, so you got to keep it in perspective. Um, the other guy I want to get to real quick is Draymond Green. He's the 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 one big name guy we, we're, we're talking about. Um, I don't know about you, Wes, but I have gotten more hate in my email box and, and Twitter mentions about Draymond Green in the past few months than anyone else on the team. It seems like a lot of Warriors fans are just completely forgetting everything he's meant to this team and they're and they're 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 tired of him. They want to get rid of him. Um, they were super down on his season this past season. Um, they I think they're putting too much stock in his numbers. I don't think you can really judge him off his numbers this past season. Um, you know when he was surrounded by a bunch of kind of young guys and 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 guys from the G League and what have you. Um, he needs Steph and Clay around, and he needs stakes to really show what he can do. Um, so it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how he comes to training camp. Is he in good shape? He didn't. He wasn't at mini camp. Is he locked in and ready to like, once again for like the umpteenth time to silence all his doubters? Because I think a lot of people are dismissing him. They think he's done. They think he's washed up. I right. mean, he's thirty now, and this is a guy who plays bigger than his physical dimensions, and those guys tend to nosedive in production in the early 30s. So I do think it's a legitimate concern. He's dealt with nagging injuries for the past couple of years. Um, I'm not going to say his career is at a total crossroads, but I do think he has a lot to prove next season. I, I Look, I think that's fair, and especially when you consider what the Western Conference is going to look like when the Warriors are really a part of it, which I like. they just weren't this last year. Um, Anthony Davis is an actual factor, right? He's not on this maybe make a playoff team type of Pelicans team anymore. Like Anthony Davis, like the road goes, to the, like the road to the finals goes to the Wake Lakers in the Western Conference, and Anthony Davis is maybe their best player. Um, Nikola Jokic is one of the best five or six players in the league right now. Like when you look at the kind of guys that Draymond Green has to contend with, and the reason I bring up centers is because I, I do think that Draymond's future is going to be at center because he, I, I think that that one year where he was shooting from three-point range well is admiration and not the rule. And uh, 
if that's the case, even if he's not your starting center, if he's just playing your most important minutes at center, then he's a freaking center. Just like Anthony Davis doesn't play most of his minutes at center. He doesn't start games at center, but when the games really matter, he plays center. So he's their center. Uh, Draymond Green's going to be in the same situation. And, and it's, it, the competition now is going to be much stiffer than it was even when Draymond was at his best, at least again, at least in the Western conference, but Right. But even if you look at who he could play in this in the in the Eastern Conference, should the Warriors make the finals? I mean, you look at guys like Bam Adebayo and Joel Embiid, and we have seen got, like playmaking centers have become so important in today's game. And Draymond Green really helped start all of that with what he was able to do with the two-man game with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, all these guys. That it makes a lot of sense for him to be a big factor in what the Warriors want to do going forward. But you're right; he needs to show that he uh, that that this year even though he wasn't injured and didn't get those, as much quote unquote rest as guys like clay and Steph did that he can at least have taken advantage of maybe an out, an off year where he wasn't, you know, pedal to the metal the entire time. Um, and which is one of the reasons why some fans are disappointed in him. But like you said, uh, so astutely he needs stakes and he needs to be surrounded by all-star talent to make him better. I mean, that's always what we talk about with Draymond, right? Is he's at his best by bringing out other all-star talents. So like, you know, color me shocked, to think that he wasn't playing that well when he wasn't surrounded by all-star talent. But once he's back around that talent, I, I, I expect a bounce back year from him, but there is, there is reason to be concerned about wear and tear. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Wes, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Um, you're actually coming back to the Bay next week. Um, maybe we can do one of these in person. That'd be fun. Yeah, Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll leave it with that click cliffhanger our thanks to Wes Goldberg for joining me on the podcast always enjoy having him on Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod 